Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, it's a sad day, but also a, a good day because we're turning the page to next year. But the sadness is college football season is over. But the excitement is that already, and we're not even to mid-January technically yet, Keith, I can already feel the hype train building for Florida State 2021 football. What, what is the uh, – remember the terminals they had in the old days for trains where the, the, the engine would go in and then it would do a 360-degree circle – in this case, it's done 180 degrees, and we're going to head back in the other direction. So we're going to close 2020, and we're going to open up 2021. And FSU already uh, in their third day of their tour of duty off-season program. Uh, transfer portal has been active. There's as many as 12, by my count, uh, kids, eight high school and four transfer kids that are already on campus for the new season et cetera, et cetera. And you're exactly right. We, we are reverting back to where we were uh, this time 12 months ago in that uh, we're back to the norm. The hype train has done its 180 and headed the other way. <laughs> and obviously, you know, we'll have these conversations between now and Labor Day weekend when Florida State will kick things off against Notre Dame. That's a Sunday night game. I do think there's a lot of positive momentum and good things to talk about. And we'll spend some extended time with our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham, who's a former offensive lineman and Wally Burnham's son. And he actually looks at the tape and we'll have uh, not just on the college kids, a little easier to find tape on the, the guys coming from the transfer portal. Pat studies uh, offensive linemen and all that type of thing in, in particular. And we'll have some thoughts on the class. Now I know that is one of the questions right now. There's not an offensive tackle in there and we'll, we'll address that with him, but, to me, the biggest thing, just as an overarching point, Keith, and then we'll, we'll go back to the college football championship game and some other more uh, macro issues, uh, all, getting all these transfers and getting them in school so that they're here for spring football and as many freshmen as possible, that, that's a big deal because you can really evaluate and move parts and pieces around compared to somebody that comes in and you don't see them until August 6th, and you only have so much time that you can tinker before you got to get a depth chart and start game planning. 
The other part of it, Tommy, that gets a little bit overlooked is, yes, you get the opportunity to look at the individual kids, but hopefully when you get in the spring ball, you get to see how they mesh with the other players. When I came in as a freshman, again, 40 years ago, I mean, they had a little bit of an idea about me, but how would I was, how was I going to work with the rest of my teammates? And that team concept is what spring is all about. And Florida State, obviously, and as, as did all the other programs, had a limited number of reps in spring of 2020. And uh, the opportunity to see who fits best where and who works with whom best, um, that's what spring ball is all about. And uh, those kids being in early, plus the strength and conditioning, the nutrition, getting them acclimated to the college uh, environment. Obviously, the transfer kids are familiar with that. But the high school kids, you know, management of time and, and uh, how, how to apply yourself and all the other things that, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, first-time uh, first kids in school, whether they're athletes or otherwise, have to uh, learn uh, to, to manage. All of that is part of the educational process. As long as we went down the recruiting rabbit hole already, we'll, we'll continue this for now, and then we'll get to the championship game. You know, people start doing the math, and they're counting on their fingers and their toes and saying, well, this is great, Florida State's getting guys, but there's not that many spots now left, so what about the offensive linemen we needed, and what about two high school kids that are sitting out there, a receiver and a D-tackle? How are you going to make it all work? And we don't have the full knowledge that the coaches do, for one. And two, I think it's a, a bird in hand is better than two in the bush. I mean, if you save spots right now and then you don't get either of those high school kids and no offensive tackle worthwhile shows up in the portal, what have you done other than not add depth at other positions of need? So I think it's easy to second guess right now, but we have to trust that the coaches know what they're getting. And at the end of the day, would you rather take 30 guys if you could, if they all wanted to come here? Sure, but there's limits and that that's just the way it is. The, the management of the roster, you know, there's some of us old timers that thought when head coaches were saying they needed player personnel development staff, we were going, what in the world is that? That wasn't, what are they talking about? That's something that uh, has to be done at the NFL level. Uh, we've all heard about the cal uh, salary cap specialist at the NFL level. This person's a guru and this person's a guru and they know how to do things within the NFL salary cap in order to make the rosters work. Well, the management of scholarships has now become uh, much more science than, than uh, experience or otherwise. And how to keep that roster, that 85 count where it needs to be, I mean, that's an ongoing process. You know, back in the old days, coaches would save two or three scholarships, you know, and they would hold them at the maybe the end of fall camp or halfway through the season, and they would reward some kids that weren't on scholarship. Well, it probably isn't real smart to hold two or three scholarships to August or September in today's environment. Well, certainly not if you're Florida State and you're in the middle of flipping the roster. I think there's been a lot of talk about this coaching staff, Keith, in a COVID year, not being able to, A, not having a bunch of relationships with the Florida high school coaches, and B, not being able to develop them because of COVID. But I think if you look at, and again, Patrick Burnham will dive deeper than this on, on the specifics of the players. But if you look broadly at it, the guys that Florida State has brought in, they have pretty firsthand or secondhand knowledge of, for example, Mike Norvell competed against McKenzie Milton and also the cornerback from UCF. So he knows what he's got there. And if you look at the guys coming from the SEC, first of all, some might say, well, why do we really need a running back? 
Well, Kenny Dillingham coached that running back for a year as offensive coordinator, so he knows exactly what he's getting. The other guys, two from South Carolina, a DB from Arkansas, the DN from Georgia. Well, you got coaches that competed against them. I mean, David Johnson was at Tennessee. Dillingham was at Auburn. Uh, Chris Marv was in the SEC. I mean, they, they have seen these guys, and they may know them better than that, having recruited them. So I, I think there is you, you have to put a level of trust in what they're getting. And that said, they, they've gotten guys with a lot of experience at, at high level. Now, they may not have been the all-conference guys, but they've been multiple-year starters in the SEC, and I don't think Florida State's in position to turn that away. One of the big things that, that goes unnoticed, in my opinion, Tommy, this is just you know my opinion, is the ability to pick up the phone and call someone you know and trust what they're going to tell you. And that doesn't get talked about, but I can almost assure you that a Florida State coach picked up the phone and called the folks at South Carolina. Because remember, that staff's gone too. So they've talked to somebody they worked with 10 years ago and said, Tommy, this is KJ. Listen, tell me about this Smith kid. We're thinking about taking him. What's his strengths? What's his weaknesses? And because I know Tommy, I can trust that information. That's what's happened and, and been missing on the high school level. It's not about finding the kids. It's not about knowing who the players are. It's about evaluating the players and having a relationship with a head coach where you can pick up the phone and call a high school head coach and say, so-and-so is on our radar. Tell me about him. What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And be able to trust that information because you've developed a relationship, assistant coach at the college level to the high school head coach. You can evaluate on tape. You know who the kids are. But doing that background check, as it were, requires those relationships, and that's where Florida State's been handicapped, and that'll be something that Florida State obviously wants to work on. I don't worry about the transfers because they'll talk to each other. Those coaches will share information. Uh, they know to keep it confidential or they won't get it anymore, and you're right. There's relationships already had and knowledge already known. Yeah, I think it's been – it's been a really good job by Norvell and staff with what they've gotten to get them in for the spring, repeating what I said earlier, to go with the high school class. It's just a matter at this point of how many more can they take. Jim Curry told us 25 is the number last week. I still hear reports they can get to 26. Right now they're sitting at 24, but who knows? It, it'll all shake we think, out. One, we think. We think. It, it'll all shake exactly. out one way or the other. Well, what we don't know. I don't see who it would be. Maybe one of these kids is coming in and is a walk-on. He wouldn't count against the 25. Uh, who knows? I mean, it's all conjecture at this point. That's for, that's for the coaches to handle the roster management. Exactly. All right, Alabama, Ohio State the other night, Keith. I know it's 48 hours in the rearview mirror, which in today's news cycle, it might as well have been eight years ago. But clearly the better team won. Uh, Devontae Smith was unbelievable, but Alabama as a whole is unbelievable. I didn't particularly think that Ryan Day and Ohio State staff put together a very good plan offensively or defensively, but I don't think it mattered. And I think the bigger question I have is still the same issue we've been talking about for months and now years. And I, I do worry about the future of, of college football, given that it's the same players and it's becoming more regional and, and that sort of thing. But your, your thoughts. It is, and I agree. How about that for short answers? Um, two things. Number one, going into the ball game, I felt Alabama would win, uh, but I did think it would be a closer ball game. Uh, Ohio State had impressed me. Obviously, here 
in the South. We hadn't seen Ohio State play much. And of course, they hadn't played very many games as well. So their uh, performance against Clemson, you know, got my attention, got my eye, but I still felt like Alabama um, was the better team, as you talked about, and would win. Uh, the second thing is the individual players, uh, I don't think, get the same notoriety, right, wrong, or indifferent, under a Saban team because Coach Saban just won't go off and, and brag about his kids. He just doesn't do that. So you actually have to watch them play. And once you watch them play, you get a true appreciation for how well uh, they're coached, how well they're developed. Uh, and one, one quick aside, you talk about Smith, Devontae Smith. You know, I, I remember watching him two years ago in the national championship game, if I've got my dates and times right. But it was a couple of years ago when he was much younger. And I thought, you know, there's a guy that catches the ball well with his hands. He's fast, but he's, he doesn't run routes very well. He doesn't accelerate very well, et cetera, et cetera. Well, fast forward 24 months. And on that first play, that little swing pass, when he just accelerated around everybody down that left sideline, there's where Alabama is winning. Everybody can get some five stars and some four stars. But what Saban and his staff has been able to do is develop those players. And that's the one thing that Coach Bowden and, and, and his staff got known for, and that's why the dynasty was, was for 14 14- years going on and now Alabama's got the same thing working for them what do coaching staffs need to do moving forward to be competitive put resources on player development not just bringing in the skilled athletic set okay college football playoff talk Keith and this is macro again I find it so the argument college football versus pro football Keith the argument against expanding college football has been, oh, we're going to water down the regular season, which is what's great about college football, the pomp, circumstance, cheerleaders, band, rivalries. In my opinion, what we've done is we've watered down the postseason. And so to me, we need to expand. But then you have the argument against the NFL, which is people who don't watch the NFL say, oh, it's boring. It's, it's all parody. Every team goes nine and seven. And yet here, just if you look at the last weekend, Keith, we had the NFL expanding its playoffs to super wild card weekend and three games a day. And everybody raved about it being the best thing ever. And then a day later we have the, no, we don't, we don't want to open the door and go to eight. I think four is right. The best team won. You know, if we get to eight, who's going to watch that? We all watch football and we'd get better. You'd get some now is Alabama. If you had an eight or 16 or 32 team, are they going to drill whoever they play in the first round? Yeah. But you know what? That that four or five game might be pretty damn good. The three six game might be pretty damn good. I just find it, it it's 180 degrees apart. The argument that the NFL expanded and it was brilliant, and college football can't figure out how to do it. I got two words for you: March Madness. <laughs> it's worked at bat in basketball at the collegiate level. It will work in football at the collegiate level, as we've talked about. You go to eight teams, you take your five big conferences, you make your conference champion an automatic qualifier, an automatic qualifier. That makes the regular season a little more important. You have two wild cards at one level. You give the FCS an opportunity or whatever we're calling them uh, to get somebody in and we go forward and see how that works. I'm, I'm prepared 
given the current situation to say the age old argument that you can't play 16 or 18 games at the collegiate level and you shouldn't do that. I'm prepared to let that go. Keith, you have matured. You have progressed. We have, we have made progress here early in 2021. I'm impressed. Can I add that to my resume? Bump that to your resume reel. Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider, joins us next. We'll dive into Florida State recruiting and this wonderful world of the transfer portal right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year to our listeners. I uh, hope you had a great holiday. And as we're easing into 2021, we say hello to our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Hey, Pat, how are you, sir? Good, Tom and Keith. Thanks for having me back. Happy New Year. Same to you. You bet. You bet. It's been a happy new year for Mike Norvell and staff. I mean, they didn't they didn't waste any time. And, you know, we, we knew the portal would heat up at some point. I'm not sure we expected the flurry of activity we saw over the last week, but it makes sense because by getting these kids committed, you get them into school, which means you have them in the weight program now and you have them for spring. So I guess maybe that's a starting point. That's pretty important when you look at these guys coming in. Yeah, and this is a, a young football team, and you knew that they were going to explore the transfer portal. Uh, based on my numbers, they still have one initial scholarship to give. Uh, and But, you know, they've taken eight kids through the transfer portal. And then, of course, you got your other 16 through the high school and junior college route. So it's been a busy time, and uh, I'm sure we've not heard the last of what's going to happen with recruiting. Patrick, one of the things that's uh, talked about within the transfer portal is that maybe you're getting a little better known entity because these kids have played. Uh, coaches have an opportunity. We talked about this in the first segment. Coaches have an opportunity to call coaches at the other school because you guys, you and your fraternity still does that, even if you're competitors. And so maybe you have a little better chance uh, from a percentage standpoint of fully understanding what these kids are worth. Is that a fair way of looking at it? Yeah, I think obviously it's, you know, you can tell a little bit about more about their talent level and what can, you can expect from them because they've already made the transition from high school to college. And some of these guys have played, and most of these guys actually have played obviously power five football and, uh, you know, group of five football. So they, and most of them have established themselves as starters at their previous program. So certainly you're getting a more proven commodity and a little a guy that's a little bit more prepared to go to the field than a high school freshman. So let's work through the list and I'm going to go backwards, I guess. Brandon Moore, the most recent transfer is a defensive back from the university of central Florida blew out his knee pretty significantly a couple of years ago and really hasn't played a whole lot. You, I know as much as anybody would have good knowledge on this because you have a certain brother who is on the staff at UCF in in your brother Shane who coaches linebackers there I believe so this one was maybe a little bit of a surprise to Florida State fans what can you tell us what's the fit what do you think 
Well, I mean, Brent, you know, obviously Florida State's got to get better in the secondary based off what we've seen the last two years. And I think what Florida, I think what Mike Norvell is right now trying to do is he's trying to out-recruit the existing roster, right? And then the next step after this will be to out-recruit your opponents. But right now, you got to out-recruit what's on your roster, and that's what they've done through the transfer portal. Uh, Brandon Moore is a guy that has missed the last but vast majority of the last two years due to a knee and labrum injury. He had two major operations. He had the torn ACL and the torn labrum on the same play against FAMU in the 2019 opener. But uh, so he has not played in two years. He's got to come out here and prove himself again. But he's a guy that is a very solid football player that has grown up in a system where Randy Shannon plays almost exclusive man-to-man coverage. So he's a bump and run corner or a man corner and a guy that's going to be very good in coverage uh probably not the most physical guy in the world but he is a long six foot corner uh that's played 29 ball games including 21 starts and as a guy that's just got to knock some of the rust off in the spring uh coming back from two major operations and one of the reasons that he has missed two years is because they a could not do both operations simultaneously they because one was upper body and lower body they had to wait so uh and then of course covid factored in so his rehab was uh set back for 2020 season so they're getting a guy that hasn't played a lot of football of late but played a lot of football early at central florida and as a guy has proven himself against some of their competition's best receivers well that makes me feel better the way you just detailed that pat so it's not as if it was a two-year rehab on a knee it was you got to do one first and then the other. Yep. So they're, that's more in line with the normal recovery time. That, that's, a, that's a solid point there. Um, okay, Jamie Robinson from South Carolina who transfers in has played an awful lot of football. It seems like versatility is maybe a key here and that FSU could use him at safety or use him to cover the slot if you're playing a 4-2-5. Uh, tell us about him. Yeah, well, he's a guy obviously played a ton of football over the last two years, 22 games played, 136 tackles, has played strong safety and nickel corner, uh, have not seen a ton of film on him, but obviously a proven guy that seems to me to be a better, more natural fit at strong safety with Florida State needs uh, at least some depth even if not a starter uh i've seen him in nickel as a nickel back struggle, struggle a little bit in coverage now i'm not seeing whole games and i'm not seeing game film it's all you know condensed game highlights those kind of things but anyway a guy i really like a guy that uh brings some physicality with him uh has played in the sc as a starter at the sec level and a guy that i can think can come in and play strong safety right away either as a starter or as a as your second guy Coach Dillingham reaches back in prior employment, goes up to Auburn, brings in a kid he has firsthand knowledge of, of uh, another running back in FSU's arsenal. Yeah, uh, DJ Williams was a highly recruited kid out of high school, uh, went to Auburn as a true freshman and ran for 400 yards as their second leading rusher on the team. Uh, obviously, Dillingham has a comfort level with him that he probably doesn't have with some of the other transfers, has a little bit more intimate knowledge of what this guy brings to the table. And losing Webb, for whatever reason, uh, certainly hurts because he was your leading rusher. And this is a guy that can come in and can compete with Coburn and Toa Feely and Wren and the rest of the running backs, but a guy that's caught ball balls out of the backfield and I believe uh for and you know you're talking about a, a Auburn program that's historically been a great school for running backs his 400 yards and uh 
his true freshman year, were 16th most in the history of that program. So he's a guy that came on the scene uh, right away, showed himself, and then, of course, uh, got kind of passed over this year with Tank Bigsley or whatever his last name is that uh, came in and secured the starting job. But uh, another guy that provides some depth and some versatility to the running back room. And bouncing back to South Carolina, a defensive lineman and Keir Thomas. Uh, you know, I've heard versatile, versatility talk there and that he can be outside or inside, but but you say differently maybe when looking at the tape? What do you think? Yeah, I, I know Coach Norvell came out and said, you know, they plan to primarily play him at Fox. But, you know, I watched this tape. I've talked to some coaches that I respect. And, you know, we all came away with the feeling that he is uh, more three technique than he is defensive ends, particularly that Fox position. But, you know, uh, I'm not – Mike Norvell knows what he's doing with his football team. And uh, he says he's playing him at Fox. But it would be very easy to see this guy move down to a three technique where right now you've basically got Dennis Briggs – as your only true proven commodity at three techniques. So uh, his versatility uh, is, you know, versatility is attractive and everything. Right. Uh, but, you know, at some point uh, we heard a lot about it last football season where this defense is, I think they need to find home for these guys, let them master those positions and then start spreading them out. But he's a guy that I think will ultimately end up at defensive tackle. This is what happens when you uh, can't find the mute button again. Same problem. You're going to have to dock my pay, KJ. Duly noted. The defensive uh, hey, defensive end. Go ahead. Go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say, going back to Keir Thomas, you've got a guy that's played 47 games in the SEC. Uh, that's that's got to carry some weight. And as young as this team is, whether he's at defensive end or defensive tackle, he's a needed commodity on this football team. Defensive end comes in from Georgia, a corner from Arkansas. This is going back a little bit further. Uh, general thoughts there? Well, you know, obviously, uh, Jermaine is uh, a good-looking kid, defensive end from Georgia. He's a guy that could probably come in right away, uh, Jermaine Johnson, and start for you at defensive – strong side defensive end if you're going to play Kerr Thomas at uh, Fox. And, uh, you know, so he's a guy that – has played about 21 ball games in his career, six and a half sacks, uh, not a ton of film on him, was not the starter at Georgia. Uh, there's no shame in that. I watched those two starting defensive ends again this morning, and those guys can play. So you're just getting a guy that probably wants more playing time. Uh, felt like this was a better fit for him where he was in his career, being his last go around, uh, but certainly a guy that garnered a lot of attention out of high school and junior college uh, and brings instant size and, again, some more experience than what you've got. Uh, you know, you've got Leonard Warner, Curtis Fan, Quayshawn Fuller, Derek McClendon, and T.J. Davis coming back as guys that were on the roster at defensive end this year. None of them played a ton. So he's a guy that gives you some uh, another veteran presence and with some big-time experience. So, and then Mackenzie Milton we talked about in December when he came over. And then Andrew Parchment. Andrew Parchment is not signed. He's the receiver from Kansas. Uh, do you think that will will firm up and he'll ultimately matriculate to FSU? And if so, what is FSU getting? Well, you know, they're getting a guy that can stretch the field vertically. He's 6'2". He's a long 6'2", 175 pounds. Uh, you know, I've watched about five and a half minutes of his tape uh, from uh, his uh, junior year, which in 2019, where he had 65 catches for 831 yards, which is eight catches or five catches a game for 12 yards. His productivity this past year was down dramatically. He averaged three catches a game for eight yards per catch. Is that evidence of 
Kansas's problem as a program, that people figure out what they were trying to do with parchment. Is he limited in what he can do? Uh, did not see a lot of uh, routes run inside the numbers on his t- uh, inside the hash in his tapes. He's a vertical guy, but he can stretch the field. You would like to see more routes within the route tree, more digs, more bench routes, more stick routes. But what you see on his highlight tape is a guy that can stretch defenses vertically, a guy that can catch the ball, does a good job of high pointing the ball, uh, and a guy that can create matchups against shorter corners, but you would certainly want to get the 2019 version of Parchment as opposed to the 2020 version of Parchment if he ends up signing with Florida State. But a guy that makes the wide receiver room better the minute he steps in it. Patrick, back to a little bit more of a big picture. A number of these transfer kids are Florida kids. Yeah. And, uh, of course, everybody latches on. They want to get back home. Is that a trend or is that just a, a byproduct of the pandemic? Well, you know, I think some of it's a byproduct of the pandemic. Some of it's a byproduct of they're looking for places to go. So they're reaching back out to their high school coaches. And, of course, their coaches are talking to college coaches within the state of Florida a bunch. And, hey, I've got a kid that's at Georgia. He wants to transfer. He wants to get back closer to his parents. Uh, Do you guys have a place for him? So I think it's a combination of factors. I don't think it's any one thing. I think each individual story is probably unique as to why they're coming back here. Uh, But certainly uh, getting close to home probably uh, has uh, been a priority for kids as uh, we as a nation continue to go through this COVID thing. Pat, let me ask you this. So we're talking about eight transfers. If we talk about parchment, are these guys all, you know, they're all on the two deep. How many are starters? I mean, what do you think that, how do you think uh, it shakes out? I don't think you bring them in as transfers unless you're planning on, uh, in the two deep at the very least, and you better hope they come in and start because, uh, uh, you know, you're, you know, if they're helping you bridge the gap from a year where you didn't really get to recruit the high school uh, programs, uh, you need them to come in and solidify this uh, themselves and their responsibility or what their role is going to be right away. But I would expect just looking at my depth chart uh, based off what I see on it, that all these guys are going to have a chance to come in and start. And then everybody fixates on the number. I thought you made a really good point earlier, the number of scholarships. And, yeah, the math says there's there's room for one more right now. You got 16 high school kids and eight transfers, although Parchment hasn't signed yet. Right, so you got two. Yeah, potentially. Um, is there a chance that one of these kids decided to walk on and we don't know that? Or I guess the surprise, the surprise that I've seen is taking three defensive backs in the portal – is there, you know, does that open up the door for whether it's one of them or somebody else to move over to play receiver? Or is that really just an indication that, you know what, our secondary was that bad? And the point that you made was right now, Florida State's got to recruit over its current roster and right. then they can worry about recruiting to, over their opponents. I think there's a lot of ways to read it, but if you're reading where they're signing, uh, on defense, both through the portal and through the high school, they're, they've concentrated on the front end, the back end, and, you know, they signed one linebacker, a high school linebacker, Jordan Eubank. So, you know, the way I read it is they really feel like where they need to improve is up front and in the secondary immediately. Uh, and, you know, could they move somebody? Of course, yeah, they could. Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Uh, you know, Jarquez McClellan, or if that's how you pronounce his name, the kid from Arkansas that comes in his corner has played receiver in his career. So is he a guy that you move to receive? I don't, I'm not saying that they are, but I'm just saying position changes. 
I think we're likely to see some in the spring as they try to figure out who their best 44 players are from the line of scrimmage. I had another macro question. I'm the old guy. Uh, is uh, February signing date unimportant anymore? It gets less and less important. <laughs> That's for sure. I think we're seeing a, I think as this continues to go on, uh, you know, you're going to see uh, a higher percentage of kids sign in the early signing period just to get it out of the way. Uh, I think there's probably going to, you know, really uh, most kids, I think, by the time December rolls around, have a good, good gut feeling of where they want to go. Uh, and, you know, I'm not as great. I'm not as big on the early signing period, uh, but uh, because what it does, you know, recruiting is so far advanced. You know, if this has been a normal year, Florida State's coaches would be out doing junior recruiting as opposed to senior recruiting, uh, you know, and then you lose a guy. You probably don't have it. You probably don't sign a guy like Shaheen Brown if it wasn't for COVID uh, because you've been out on the road. You, he was a late bloomer. Uh, you find a kid like that who's I'm, I'm as fired up about Shaheen Brown from uh, Lake City, Columbia, as I am anybody they've signed. And after talking to Brian Allen, a former Noel, uh, you know, Brian said the other day, you know, this kid was not getting any traction and did not get any traction because kids were not seen in May. And uh, and he said he said this the other day on our podcast, Shaheen Brown could play on the dynasty teams. And when he said that, it kind of fired me up. But that's a kid that gets passed over. If, I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, so there's some there's some great stories uh, that are to be had coming out of this COVID thing. But uh, yes, I think it's I think it's changed the way recruiting was done. Certainly uh, affected the signing class this year. Hey, Pat, what are the uh, – and I know we focus on Florida State, but we can use other schools as an example. Where do you think this ultimately lands in terms of – if you're running on all cylinders, how many kids are you taking from the portal? I mean, are you signing 22 high school kids every year and losing, leaving three spots for that one position of need or two positions of need? Or, or what do you think is the ideal number? Well, I think the one-time transfer thing, I think it's been tabled now, if I'm correct. Uh, I thought At I least read for yesterday. now, yeah. Yeah, so, all right, let's, when that gets approved, it will change it. Now, I think the way they exist today without the one-time transfer, except for these, you know, I think everybody's got a free pass this year to transfer and play because of the COVID. But, yes, I think that, you know, I think you're better suited to recruit your foundation from the high school level that way they're in their program for four or five years but i think once the one-time transfer comes in you're going to see that number grow a little bit uh i still don't think you won't uh it's going to change the dynamic of how recruiting is done but i don't think you're going to see florida state go out and sign eight guys every year out of the portal no i think it'll be more three to five yeah that's that's what i said that's what i thought too i mean like get 80 percent of your class from the high school level and Maybe it's 90% some years and maybe it's 70, you know, five. Yeah, yeah. Guys, is there any significance to the fact that the NCAA put off the vote as to whether to make that one-time transfer permanent? Did y'all read that? Yeah, that's what he's referring to, yeah. Yeah. Is there any significance that they put off the vote? They were supposed to vote on that this week. Well, I, you know, Keith and, uh, and uh, Tom, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say too, but I think, I, I, and I, I think I'm right, I think everyone's got a free pass this year, right? They do, so, but they we're going to vote on whether to make yeah. it permanent, and they put yeah, the well, vote I, off. I think they're just buying more time because they can still implement it for next season. Uh, you know, so I, I you know, and I, and I don't know what the reasons are, uh, but 
I, you know, I, I, there's plenty of time to do it before next year. Well, that was just concerning to me. I didn't know if there might have been somebody knew something about an underlying reason or a problem associated with it. Yeah, I haven't. I have. I haven't dived in on that, Keith. I think to Pat's point, you know, they there is actually time to get feedback from people to say, hey, now that we've been through this, do we like this or not, and have that side of the conversation. Unlike the NIL thing, which they've had decades to try and get in front of, and they've just kicked it further down the road. We won't go there now, but. Uh, Keith, maybe you and I will next segment. Pat, you also have caught up. Uh, we're going to move off recruiting. Well, I'll, I'll give you a chance. Any any final thoughts you want to add on what Mike Norvell and staff have done right now or where this will land? Well, you know, I think I told you guys this in December. I think, you know, what they've done uh, and the trans – of course, you know, hope springs eternal uh, at this time of year or spring uh, – you know, in the springtime. But, you know, I think that what they've done recruiting has been fairly remarkable given the fact that they have not been able to go on the road in almost a year. Uh, so uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I cannot wait to see what these uh, transfer portal guys bring in the spring. I hope we get a chance to go out and watch them in the spring. What I was going to say, thank you for that. You also caught up with Josh Storms, I think, recently, the strength and conditioning coach. The tour of duty is underway. Uh, you've got some uh, coverage uh, on the Osceola, and I encourage our listeners to go ahead and subscribe if you don't already. What 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 did you glean from your conversation with Coach Storms? Well, you know, just that they feel like this is probably really their first off season. You know, they had the kids for two months uh, before the pandemic shut everything down. They did not have a normal off season. I think, you know, that was some of the reason that they struggled early, particularly as they had not been able to implement the culture like you would in a first year program. Uh, they were not able to get to know these kids, uh, what buttons to push. Uh, but certainly he is excited about this group of kids and getting a chance to work with them uh, a little bit more than he has in the past. And they are going back to a more uh, standard uh, off season workout. That's going to be you know, pretty much normal, except for some safety procedures and uh, limits on who you can have, how many people you can have in the room. But uh, certainly a guy that felt like, uh, you know, the kids continued to work in the weight room over the, the course of the season. And, you know, he had to, he had some unique challenges because they were playing a lot of true freshmen. And most of the time freshmen are on a different lifting program than the guys that are playing. And so you know, a guy like uh, Robert Scott was in a development stage and then went to a playing type workout program. So, uh, you know, they had some unique challenges like that, but he really feels like this is the first true off season and is really looking forward to working with these kids, but is fired up about the kids he has to work with for sure. Our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. Pat, really good level of detail and insight. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Appreciate you having me. Hey, brother. We'll take a All break, right. come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to Patrick Burnham. Good level of detail. We knew we'd get that from him on those players, and you know, you never know until you, you get them out there on the field. But I, I do think, uh, going back to really the theme of this show, and I, and I don't think it's just our theme, I think this is the way most Florida State folks feel. 
the staff has done a really nice job trying to fill needs, trying to get guys who are an upgrade over the current roster. And, you know, the understanding is, that, you know, Florida State's not signing 25 five-star guys right now. That's not where it is. But uh, I think they've done nice work. I do, too. I mean, you always have to play in the back of your mind that uh, whether it's a junior college kid that comes in or a kid that comes through the transfer portal, that is not always ideal. There's usually some baggage or a story associated with that. In a perfect world, you sign uh, the kid that committed to you uh, as a junior in your junior camp. He didn't take any other trips. He's all in, and he ends up starting the uh, last half of his freshman year and becomes a two-time consensus All-American. But that story doesn't work either. That doesn't happen as often. So uh, balancing those two and making them work specifically, as we've talked about, uh, bringing in kids to meet needs, which is exactly what the NFL does with free agency. Uh, you know, it's just a junior version of that. It's certainly very necessary right now uh, with Norvell entering into his second season. The free agency part, the addressing needs, that's to my question that I asked Pat. You know, ideally, and he said 20, I could see it being 20 to 22 kids you sign out of the high school ranks, and then you leave a couple spots available to say, whatever it is, somebody got hurt in spring practice or, you know what? Or one of your commitments doesn't come through. Or, or, yeah, you know, we've always been a little thin at that one linebacker spot. And rather than force a kid that we we didn't want to take at the high school level, we'll just keep that in our back pocket in case opportunity arises. Right. I mean, I I think that's where it'll end up. Um, Interesting. Anyway, they're right into the tour of duty. Uh, The ACC football schedule is going to come out pretty soon, by the way. I think as soon as next week or, you know, by the end of January, we know Florida State opens up against Notre Dame at home. So there's no easing into it. That'll be Sunday night of Labor Day weekend. I thought that they might pump the brakes a little bit on the schedule release just because who knows if you have to adjust again. But it sounds like they're just moving forward. Well, I think part of that rationale is trying to put 2020 behind you. So, you know, we're going to charge ahead unless and until we have to pump the brakes. Uh, so instead of uh, breaking ahead of time, we're going to wait and break only when we have to, maybe. To we'll belabor see. that uh, illustration to its uh, dead end. Anyway, that'll be out in the next couple of weeks. Keith, uh, the basketball team already underway as we're chatting right now, playing NC State. So many basketball fans are listening to the game or at the game. In hindsight, I'm, I'm sort of glad they didn't play the pit game because it would have been a scenario where Florida State literally had not practiced in a week, got on a plane, and basically went through a walkthrough and tried to get a good result out of that. And it doesn't matter who you're playing. There's not many good results that come out of that sort of preparation. Not, uh, you know, if that were the way to do it, everybody would have been doing it already. So that's obvious. Uh, yeah, they've been able to – I think they got back on the court on Thursday, so they've had to have, had opportunity to have some uh, time. You know, uh, it, it – the management of the process during this basketball season, much like football, but the management of the process is almost just as important as game planning and what you do on the court. And certainly that will test Leonard and his staff. But, um, you know, if there's somebody, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we have talked a little bit about with Leonard and, and we've stressed it about Norvell is how organized Mike is and how structured his things are. Well, you know, you don't really associate that with Leonard because he doesn't talk about it, but but he's very um, uh, efficient and very uh, purposeful in what he does with his program. And so the ability for him to be uh, flexible, uh, you know, even as long as he's been in the game, 
I think is a strength of his. And so uh, managing this and, uh, you know, continuing to know how to put the pieces together. Uh, I, I think Florida state will be positioned well on the basketball court. Obviously they got to win, but I, I think Leonard is well-equipped and his staff is well-equipped to try to handle what's being thrown at them. They, they need to play games. I mean, we know how that is typ- true. That typical is true. Leonard team, they use that 10 or 12 game non-conference to, to tinker. And uh, now to be fair, maybe he's not going to have the opportunity to tinker and he's just going to have to shorten the bench and go because you didn't have that many games. But that's the one thing that concerns me. If you told me they were getting 30 games, I could guarantee you that this team would be humming on all cylinders at March Madness time. But the way this season's going, who knows? A fair a fair uh, thought process. I, I don't worry about that as much because, you know, I've just seen this program and what, what Leonard's been able to do with it. But uh, that is a fair concern. The good news is, not exactly, but the good news is, is everybody else is dealing with it as well. I think one of the things that's interesting about this basketball season is you're going to have some teams that get to the tournament that have played 18 games, and you're going to have other teams that have played 28 games. And I don't know how that's going to play out because basketball, one of those, one of those sports where more reps are more better, to, to butcher the English language. Well, we do that on a weekly basis here. So you've tuned into the right show for that. Uh, Side note, not related to this year's team, but Florida State basketball got a transfer commitment yesterday. All this talk about the transfer portal. They got a guy who was the preseason player of the year in the American Athletic Conference for this year after a great freshman year. Uh, And he's coming in next year for a class that was already number two or three in the country, depending on your recruiting service, Caleb Mills coming over from Houston. So uh, the cupboard not only is not bare, but I mean, now, I mean, you, you got them stacked up and you're going four deep at one guard position to go, Oh, there it is. There we go. I mean, it's, they're getting richer there. Well, and, and hats off to the formal note Did I, did I read where Dwayne Bacon had a career high 19 points a week ago for, for the, the magic, I think it was. And Beasley had a couple of 20 point uh, games back to back and, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, whether you're coming in, you're playing, or you've left, uh, you know, Florida State basketball, getting some notoriety. And at the NBA level, the biggest thing I saw over the weekend is that uh, Patrick Williams got the opportunity to defend LeBron, and LeBron was pretty complimentary in his postgame comments. So uh, that's always nice if the the King's going to share that. Okay, so FSU basketball in the midst of its game against NC State. Saturday, 12 noon, they'll host North Carolina. Let's hope for a good result here. I think the, uh, you know, the fact they got three or four practices back in leaves me feeling okay about tonight. And then you're on a more traditional schedule to get into North Carolina. But I do worry if you don't get a lot of games in, Keith, if you're sitting there and the records, it's just not going to be sexy. You're not going to be 24 and six and 16 and four in the league. You know, you're going to be looking at a conference record that might be seven and five. And that doesn't seem thrilling, but it doesn't mean you're not one of the best 68 teams. The, the whole issue of what have you done over the last five games as the selection committee, particularly looking at seating, is going to be, you know, eye candy and, and the uh, uh, visual is going to be probably a little more important uh, for this year, more so than any other year. We've got one segment to go. We'll take our last break and then come back and finish up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front 
Monroe Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Tom and KJ with you on Front Row Knowles. Wednesdays at 6 right here on ESPN Tallahassee. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Another year, Keith. We've made it into another year on uh, Front Row Knowles somehow. Obviously, uh, uh, the the important folks haven't been listening enough because they keep giving us a green light to do this every week, right? I just uh, harken back to when you and I first got started 30-plus years ago. You, you had to actually have a license from the FCC. They did away with that. I don't even think we would qualify for a license in 2021. How about, what do you think? <laughs> it's a solid point. Um, all right. Speaking of uh, acronyms, I guess, we'll move from the FCC back to the ACC. And we talked with Pat Burnham from the Osceola earlier in this show. But uh, one thing we didn't touch on this week, uh, Bob Ferranti, who normally joins us, has done a thorough deep dive on the new ACC commissioner coming from Northwestern. And uh, that article is up on the Osceola right now. And so just to continue that conversation we've had since that announcement was made, impressions from from diving into that article, Keith. Well, first of all, our, our listeners need to subscribe to the Osceola and they need to read that article. And they need to understand that that in-depth type of uh, information is what the Osceola is known for. Um James, James Phillip, uh, I guess I think his friends call him Jimmy, uh, coming in from Northwestern. He'll be on board February 1st. Um, Commissioner Swafford will stay on for a period of time, uh, and then Phillips will take over full-time uh, you know, in the summer, as it were. The article began with what I thought was maybe the only thing I needed to know about, about Jimmy. Uh, when I get the opportunity to meet him, I'll ask him if I can call him Jimmy. Uh, and he relayed the story of a Northwestern player that had been injured and was taken into, it was during the Music City Bowl, and was taken underneath the stadium into the x-ray room uh, to have x-rays done. Well, Phillips left his, you know, his AD box and went and got the player's parents and his fiance and escorted them into the x-ray room so they could be there with their son and fiance. And then he asked the player, because they were having to literally cut his pants off, a knee injury, having to cut his pants off if he would like some dry clothes. So he walks back to the Northwestern locker room and gets the player's sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and a coat, and his shoes, and brings them back to him. And then invited the mom and the fiancé to travel on the team charter with him back to the Chicago area after the ball game. That, to me, says as much of anything about who he is. And the article, Bob does a great job of talking about servant leadership. And that's a buzzword and a term that you don't hear much in today's me environment. But that's the strength. And then he interviews his former AD, um, Dave Hart, uh, and some others that just talked about him as a person and his character. And I think it's a great foundational starting point uh, and I was very impressed with Bob's article, and I'm very excited to see what uh, Commissioner Phillips can do. Uh, there are some problems. There are some issues. There are some things he's got to address. But, man, as we've talked about, everybody that talks about him has glowing, glowing things to say. It was a real good article. I encourage our listeners to go and I'm online excited. and look at it. 
I'm excited just to see a change changing of the guard. Uh, no matter how good somebody's been, it's good to get fresh ideas in there and look at things from a different way. And clearly the ACC has not been on top from a revenue standpoint. So you need to get creative and start looking at things a different way. And I don't know that there's hidden pots of gold anywhere, but at least you keep turning over rocks, trying to find them right now. And well, and the, next, the biggest obstacle, and there's a short time frame, and I don't think it'll happen within the time frame. but the biggest short-term thing would be to find a way to get Notre Dame as a full conference member. I'm not optimistic that's going to happen in 2021. Um, maybe it gets announced in 2021, but um, his, you know, he worked, uh, Phil, Phillips worked at Notre Dame for a while. Uh, he was there on staff with uh, uh, A.D. White that's now at Duke. And so he has some connections there that, that maybe other ACC prior folk didn't have. But uh, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is addressing the revenue. Uh, and, and I'm like you. I don't know where that pot of gold is. I don't know. That's why you need new ideas. Uh, maybe there's a great idea out there that we go, why didn't we think of that? But uh, that revenue disparity uh, difference is, is, is a problem. It is a problem. You've been harping on that for a couple of three years now, and appropriately so. Yeah. As, as per usual, Keith, one thing that hasn't changed for us, we can identify the problems. We just can't solve them, you know? So <laughs> that makes us like just about everybody in our world today. Um, I'm excited though, that uh, just, you know, football, hope springs eternal. Pat, Pat said it. And we always get in this, this phase. We won't start. We don't have the schedule yet. So we're not going to try to count up wins, but uh, this is still a year where Florida state just needs to get better and be as good as the sum of its parts, whatever that is. And then when you figure out that you still need some better parts in some places, you go out and you address that next year. I mean, that to me is where we are in this process. You know, the, the roster turnover and the uh, change of culture, um, you know, that, that's a tough thing. And, and Florida State fans hadn't really seen that because, you know, Bobby was here for 34 years. Jimbo was on board for, you know, the two or three years at the tail end. So when he came on board, there wasn't you know, a big change. He made an appropriate, necessary changes. You know, Taggart came in and for whatever reason, didn't implement very many changes or digressed or regressed, however you want to judge that. So now Norvell, you know, is on the scene and he gets hit with the pandemic in his first year. I mean, it has been a very difficult time for, you know, FSU football in the real big picture going back, you know, 10 years plus or minus. As we wrap up, not that this is an Alabama show, but Nick Saban, it, it hasn't mattered who's been on his staff or who's been on the field. I mean, this is six championships out of 12 years, Keith. Well, again, Tommy, I go back uh, to the 14-year dynasty at Florida State. Now, now, Florida State did have some continuity with their coaches. There were a few changes, but not like uh, Saban's had to uh, endure. But it was all about the culture and the program that coach Bowden put together and Alabama's success is all about the culture and the program that coach Saban has put together. You know, I don't know about you. I've not ever had the opportunity to meet him. I've not had the opportunity to talk with him. I probably never will. Uh, but um, what is happening there is a direct result of intentions. That's not an accident. It's intentional. And you're right. It's working really, really well for them. 
you want to share, you haven't met Saban, but I mean, you did meet the bear. Do we want to share that story now or people don't even remember who the bear was now? Well, I, you know, I had my 15 minutes with him on my recruiting visit to Tuscaloosa. It was just me and him in his office. Uh, he had his hat on inside and uh, I can't tell you much of what he said because in my little 18 year old uh, high school mind, he was mumbling, you know, <laughs> what he, you know, he didn't, I, I was not, a, he, he did not articulate well. And you weren't going to ask him. All. You weren't going to ask him to repeat himself. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Now, I was in awe, and uh, I was very respectful, and I'm very happy that I had that opportunity. But uh, it was not – I would not be someone if the bear was still around today that he'd say, oh, yeah, I remember that Jones kid from Wildwood. I don't, I don't think I registered much on his uh, – Uh, thought process. (laughs) All right. We're out of time, folks. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we do this each and every week. Find the podcast. Uh, He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles.